Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Vanity Fair. She go home. I don't want to go. It's Christmas Eve. Fuck Christmas Eve. Good. Hello and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Hilary Busis. And I'm Chris Murphy. And we're here to discuss part four of season four of HBO's True Detective Night Country. Later on, actor Kaylee Reese, who plays Detective Navarro, is stopping by to talk about death, Ennis, and the supernatural tones of this season. Richard, do you always do the recap? Is, you is, do. Are you just you the do. best one? I, I don't know. I, well, I used to be a recapper for Gawker, so I think that's <laughs> okay. why. I think, I think our producer... And you did those all out loud. I remember everything exactly perfectly, <laughs> as you guys have noticed. Um, You're not reading from a script. No, no, no. You no, would never do that. Anyway, let's do a recap. Thank you. It's Christmas Eve, and the corpsicle is off to Anchorage, and Liz Danvers finds Navarro's sister, Julia, in distress. Okay, I'm just... I'm just going to come towards you, okay? Yeah, we need to we need to get you inside. Navarro and Danvers follow a lead and learn the ice caves share a link in both cases. The other way to do this would be to track down whoever mapped the cave system. You got a name? Otis Hayes. Wait, Heiss? Otis Heiss? You know him? Julia agrees to go to a treatment facility, but sneaks out and walks out into the darkness and dies. And Navarro spins out. You want to know what was really wrong with her? I had... Don't, don't, don't. It don't. takes us... One by one. And you know who's next. And a sighting of a pink parka takes Navarro and Danvers on the hunt for researcher Raymond Clark, but they find someone else. Otis? Otis Heiss? 
All right. So I uh, I am Jewish. I celebrate Christmas now because my husband does. Welcome. I, thank you. <laughs> yes, it's, it's great to be here. Um, Christmas. I have limited experience with Christmas, but I think I can still say this is like the most depressing Christmas I've ever seen in it's my life. Just, it's just bleak. Uh, yeah. The worst Christmas yeah. ever. Uh, for everybody. Ed, for every single person. Oh, my every God. Person. Poor, like, I, I, Hank is obviously a bad guy, but, like, seeing him get left at the plane. Imagine being ghosted in that way. Not You can't even call it ghost. I mean, no, what because you, she never, she was never, like, real. Well, did she, wasn't she the woman who she saw him? She was going to get off the plane, and then she... They, she was like, I'm actually going to stay on the plane. No. You don't think no, that was not. her? No, no I think Chris. She just, ah, he, just got, he just got catfish. Uh, I, li- I like to you think that it was. You can't just get back on the plane and like, have them take you back to Russia. Russia's right there. We just said, let's go to Russia. Not how planes work. No. I, I like to believe that. Maybe it's that's because like, I really didn't like it. It's not like the like W train. If you stay on long enough, it just keeps going in the other direction. <laughs> Those little planes, Alaska to Russia. I, I will say I did feel really bad for Hank when him getting ghosted. That was just sad. It's just sad. I mean, everyone in the town in this town is getting ghosted in one way or another. Yeah. Ooh, um, oh, God. But, the, Julia, the Julia stuff is very rough. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have been saying for a few weeks now that uh, we didn't see things going well for Julia. And unfortunately, we were actually more correct than I thought we were going to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't think this was going to happen. And I also think for— You didn't to, think she was going to die? I, well, I didn't think it would be this soon. Okay. Um, yeah. I also didn't think it would arrive in the middle of an episode. Okay. I you just know? feel like she was a she was a Beth March ticking time bomb from the beginning. You don't yeah. you don't introduce yeah. like troubled sister and that who's like, like sh- having apocalyptic visions yeah. and you know no she does not get to episode six no. like that's just no. not the way television that's works. Fair. Yeah, I was surprised. Well, I I was surprised by how it went down too, and I thought that was actually I mean it was sort of a really <laughs> eerily and deeply darkly sort of. Beautifully sad, seeing her walking sort of naked into oh, the yeah. snow, into the dark. It, it was seem like what she wanted. It seemed, and maybe she knows to get out. Maybe she knows this whole town is doomed and you remember, we don't need to be here anymore. Last week, Navarro said to Danvers, do you ever think about that just like walking away yeah. into nothing? Mm-hmm. And you're like, so her sister kind of almost fulfilled Navarro's prophecy, you know, and, and I think there's a really sad poetry in that. And I thought, you know, just between Hank and Navarro, they, I mean, obviously these are very different kinds of losses, one much more extreme than the other, but like Hank did not react angrily. He just kind of was like, dude, 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 there's yeah. prob- probably a problem with her mom or her, her cell phone service or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's you know. denial. <laughs> and, and, and Navarro kind <laughs> of does the denial thing for a little bit. I'm fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, she hangs up the phone and when Pryor says, is everything okay? And she's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. She waits for Danvers to get into a long monologue about how when you're dead, you're dead and nothing, you know, there's no afterlife. And then she says, oh, by the way, my sister a killed herself. A great way to make somebody feel shitty. Horrible. Uh, horrible. Yeah, and it yeah. was even worse, too, because Danvers picked her up off the street you, you, Danvers is now somewhat connected to Julia, having found her on the street, yes. too. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, Danvers is a carer. You know, when She's it when it comes to it, and yeah. and tried, and and obviously Navarro tried. Maybe there was no helping Julia, at least in that environment. And then, of course, the anger for Navarro does arrive. Yeah, yeah. but it's. I don't think she thought she was actually going to like beat that guy up. I think she knew how that was going to go. Yeah, I think she wanted yeah. to. She feels guilt. Uh, she wants yeah. to feel hurt, physical hurt. Physical to, hurt yeah. to yeah. Match cover the, the emotional hurt. The emotional yeah. hurt and the guilt that she feels because she put her in the lighthouse. She knew Julie didn't want to go to the lighthouse, but mm-hmm. it reached a point where there was nowhere else for her to go. And sort of on her watch, in a way, this is another person that she's lost. Well, yeah, because she's like, I, I, she wants to stay at the lighthouse and just you know sit in front of the door, but you can't do that. You're entirely, you can't just be hovering. No, yeah. you can't be hovering, and so it. Just to see her rage out against these men, 
and get really, I got to say, whoever did the fight choreography, and it was very well, that's visceral. Where, that's where you can see that uh, Kaylee Reese knows how to fight. She knows how to fight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In a real way. And she also, like, this is maybe a dumb thing to say, but she knows how to, like, wear a bruise and a cut on her face. Mm. Like, I just, I, I know it's makeup, but, like, it just looks so much more convincing knowing that she is probably, her face has looked like that mm-hmm. in her p- past line of work. Yeah, she knows how to act yeah, it. Like, yeah, how to, how yeah. one would. Yeah, the wincing and the sort of physical pain of it, yeah. Uh, yeah. When her uh, pseudo-boyfriend reset her hand, uh, well, you think he's going to propose the crack? You think he's going to, like, propose? And she's like, don't do that. But it's just a distraction for him to just uh, put it back into place. Yeah, yeah. I did dislocated things really give me the heebie-jeebies, <laughs> and that was maybe as scary as Lundy last episode. Too. Yeah, it's, it's something I've said before, but, like, just just let him love you. Yeah. Oh, I know. Let him in. And I'm like, well, how right many times there. does she push him away before I he's know. like, well, forget it. And I was well, worried that I, was going to happen. it helps maybe that there's not that many other people in town. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, as we've seen with Danvers, who slept in with all episode, of them. they're like, oh, you really slept with everybody. <laughs> yeah. There was, like, a census, and she was ticking off names one right, by one. Right, right. It's interesting. I know we said this earlier, and maybe we were talking we have base and whatnot, and maybe I, again, I, maybe I was so like crazy this episode. But did anybody else feel a little bit of a spark when uh, Navarro touched her arm at the very beginning of the episode, Danvers? I was, sure, I was like, yeah. maybe there's something. And then last episode we had. Hank sort of out of nowhere being like, don't Mrs. Robinson, my son. Yeah. And Danvers throws the coffee. And we in had his talked face. about that in the first episode of this season. Like, well, there was some confusion about whether Pryor was. Uh, Danvers' son. Yes. But then there was also like, well, there's something there. And I think that these, these past two episodes, three and four, have really sort of ramped that up where he's like, he's, she's like saying like, that's my boy. He's abandoning Christmas to be, and and and, sh- and his wife like is maybe being a little insensitive to the fact that there's like multiple murders being investigated right now. And it is his job. But like at the same time, it's like, you're not really going for work. You're going for her. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know? And it's, it's a, uh, it, it feels less sexual than like her molding him into her. Yeah, right. it feels like, more mother right. sunny that and she did lose it. a son, so and she yeah, lost like a son. Yeah, and you are like he is now going to like follow in her footsteps in this way, and like she is going to yeah. turn him when whatever it takes, she's going to turn him into a great cop. Yeah, and meanwhile, she's not really paying appropriate attention at this point to Leah, mm-hmm. who is now spray painting the mine company's front door. Which seems like a great way to get yourself murdered. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Definitely. She's storming out of the house on Christmas, and Liz. Throws a whole goddamn turkey out in the, into the I trash. Know, that turkey looks good. I know that Danvers <laughs> was being kind of shitty to her in this ep- to Leah in this episode, but like anytime someone like throws out the dinner they were they either made or were gonna make, mm-hmm. oh, I, I can't, I hate. It makes me so sad. <laughs> That's um, a trope. Yeah, that is a trope that gets to the heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a dejected, like oh, never mind, you know, because um, everyone had to be kind of horrible and alone on this Christmas. <laughs> well, I mean that that no, Leah's not alone. She's with no. more of her, you Native know, sort of almost family. chosen family mm-hmm. yeah, and chosen whatever. Family, and family. yeah, they're the only ones who seem to be having an okay time. Yeah. yeah, but except that she's mad at, at Pryor because he didn't come home, and so the home. kid might have gone to bed sad. And Dan Verza wasn't completely alone because she got zooted and blasted and drove on over to her <laughs> other boyfriend's house, yeah. Ted, which was crazy. And I was really worried just because I think there was some foreshadowing. We still don't know exactly what happened to her son, right? No. We don't. Mm-hmm. We have no idea. But with the there's been drunk driving in the air we since know the first episode. We know that his name is Holden. We know his name is Holden. Yeah. We which, know he's no longer uh, with is us. is a, a name that is freighted with symbolism. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
very true. Mm-hmm. And we know from the, the first episode, like, she almost gets in that car crash, and there's that drunk woman mm-hmm. who's drunk driving. So I'm going to go out on a limb and think it's probably maybe she got drunk and there was a drunk driving accident, and that's what maybe happened. That's, that seems to be what the show is leading that's to, That's what seems least. to be. And, you know, that would cause you a greater amount of guilt if yes. it is an accident that was your fault. That was your fault. Uh, sort of a logical conclusion. She doesn't seem that sad about her dead husband. <laughs> no, she doesn't really seem to care about that. But I was really nervous just because there was a moment where, like, she was drunk in a car driving, and then Navarro was grief driving. And I was like, yeah. oh, God, what if uh, they crash or yeah. something? I was like that. That's be, Grey's Anatomy. That That's is Grey's Anatomy coming <laughs> out of you. Yeah, <laughs> the melodrama. But I just, I Danvers drinking and showing up at Ted's house, I thought was pretty, pretty tough. There was a moment of respite where it was like we get the gag about the teeth whitener. Yeah, we get Elf Danvers laughing, wholeheartedly laughing, which is the first time we've seen her do this uh, since we've known her. <laughs> And then, of course, the scene immediately then turns dark again. Yeah. <laughs> like, we had a little bit moment of, like, some sort of Christmas cheer at some one man's expense. But, like, but yeah, and then and then he says the thing where he was, like, after the, the thing happened with Holden and the husband, like, you were just different. What are you saying? I got I got too emotional? No, you just got fucking shittier. Told people they sucked at their jobs. It's because they sucked at their jobs. Nobody wanted to work with you, Liz. Nobody wants to work with you now. You're still a fucking mess. Take a look around. It's Christmas Eve and you hear busting my balls. Yeah. You're here too, busting mine, aren't you? Liz. Liz! Do not fucking drive. Fuck off, Ted. While also saying that, like, maybe he did get her out of town because she was better than him. You know? Yeah. Two things can be true. Yeah. yeah, it feels like this episode we we have a lot of kind of character beats and less uh, less progress on the murder, which is, you know, seems fine to me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we do get a little bit further with... The murder. Yeah, well, I mean, again, we have a great spooky cliffhanger. Yes. Um, we have, yeah, the the search, the search for Otis Heiss. Otis Heiss. That was creepy. The dredges, the dredges that uh-huh. used to be working. That's a, that's a great set piece going mm. into that creepy oil... Refractory? What was that? Refinery or something, yeah, yeah where, you know, it's just... All of these uh, dead machines, and it's uh, even darker than outside somehow. And there's like a little, a sad little, like creepy Christmas tree. Yeah, and, like, and, Nav- yeah. and Navarro says uh, of them when they were working that they were they, they sort of had like a kind of like almost terrible majesty to them. Like there, there are these things tearing stuff out of the earth that we probably shouldn't be burning anymore. And yet there was something sort of awful in the kind of old sense of the word about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good setting. So I want to talk. We should talk about Otis because he's new to this cast of characters. He's found by Pryor, at least in name, because he searched a database for similar symptoms or similar causes of death to to those of the scientists that, you know, are our central case Mm -hmm. here. It's sort of convenient that one exists, but we'll allow it. Yeah, and then it just so happens that not only is there someone else who experienced this, but also, oh, wait, no, no, he's, like, actually still in town. Like, he's still here. Like, I thought that was maybe a little bit too tidy mm-hmm. in its I thought maybe they were going to find this guy and he was going to ex- have experienced something similar somewhere else. Yeah. But now it seems like, oh, no, he's directly involved. And in he's this. sort of living as a vagrant. Wearing Annie's coat. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, give—or give, yeah, or, or I guess it's it's Clark's, Clark's coat, coat, but Annie had it. Annie, yeah. 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 But no, give it feels maybe a little Deus Ex Machina Eve that you know we're in episode four, like yeah. oh maybe this guy we've never heard of before is actually deeply involved, right? Yeah. <laughs> but he is at least pushing us on into the titular Night Country by saying Clark's gone. He went underground. He said, I think, like he went underneath to hide out. He's in the Night Country now. We're all in the Night Country now, and so it's really like okay, so he. As crazy as he seems, as unreliable as he might be, he is pointing us pr- toward 
the end game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are signs that as crazy as he might be, that like he could be right. I mean, we have these ice caves, right? Where mm-hmm. Which that, also seems like a great uh, a great creepy place to uh, shoot some scenes. 100%. It looked a lot like that's where Annie, you know, died, it seems, mm-hmm. or at least got attacked. And you know, we're told by <laughs> Danvers' other, other boyfriend, the geology teacher, that they're not safe and that no mm-hmm. one should go in. So it already yeah. is setting up sort of like an epic finale yeah. of them, you know. Yeah, smash cut to them inside. Inside the caves, yeah. you know. Yeah. By a thread. Or, exactly. And and as drunk as she is, Danvers does make a connection between the video of the scientists right before they went missing and then were found dead. And in the Annie video, there is a sort of flash of light. And she says, oh, someone cuts the power. Mm-hmm. And then they say, well, they must have had generators set up in this ice cave, wherever this ice cave is, mm-hmm. which is like, OK, so were people living there? Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. were the scientists maybe doing had they had they come across their, you know, the research that was alluded to by the teacher is like they're they're like basically they could they could if if their experiments work out they can cure every disease like mm-hmm. it's like this is like the god you know this is like the god discovery like we could yes. kind of conquer death is that what they found in the cave is that why they set up shop with electricity in the cave or yeah but yeah tapping into a cave you know digging too deep and finding something that you shouldn't have found kind of goes mm-hmm. along with your earlier theory Richard also feels sort of like uh, like Oracle Adelphi e mm-hmm. like yeah. you know. There's this hole in the ground and they're breathing something in and like the people think that it is like this magic supernatural thing, but it's actually like a hallucinogen yeah. that is making them go crazy. That is making exactly. them crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. something that really sort of came to the forefront that might be connected to that is this goddamn spiral that mm-hmm. is just popping up all yeah. over. Because if you think about it, if you traced it, you go all the way down to the—it sort of looks like a drill. If, yeah. if you think about it, yeah. it goes all the way down mm-hmm. to the center of, you know. So maybe maybe there's something— I hadn't looked that. at it as spiraling down, but yeah, you're right. It could it be— It could yeah. be going down mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the earth. Time is a flat circle. It could yeah. go both ways. <laughs> and, at least, and at least a couple people have left them as almost clues, you know. Oliver Tadak? Yeah, Where like he, he leaves a stone behind. It's also written on the floor. And then Navarro asks point blank the, the people who are living out in this little settlement on the ice what it is, and they pointedly do not answer her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They tell her to leave. So people know what this is. Fiona Shaw's character alluded to that in an earlier episode. What do we think about her this episode <laughs> where she's having this fabulous, like, so rich lady Christmas? She had such a spread for no one. Yeah. That, yeah. like... like girl, you eat. She, had like a, she had a cheese plate. So Presumably that's before the entrees, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, man. I, uh, given the, the current uh, discussion about academia, I loved her backstory being, yeah. I was an academic and I was doing this very important work and then I realized that everything... That my life was meaningless and yeah, my work was meaningless and I left. Matter. So I moved to the middle of like literally like like the end of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> it's quiet. I had to yeah. get so far away <laughs> yeah. from academy, the yeah. academy. So if Julia and, and Navarro had a kind of little running joke before Julia died about all the groceries being expensive, $20 cookies, how <laughs> fucking much did that Christmas <laughs> meal cost? Well, and she must have had to like send away for all of oh, those for, ingredients. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. aren't things that you're just going to find. And William Sonoma the- delivers to that town? <laughs> and was... And I guess Navarro was always going to, it was always just going to be the two of them. Was Navarro always going to come over? Did she just, no, I think she just appeared. I guess it's possible that Rose is clairvoyant. She sees her dead boyfriend, Mm -hmm. who is Travis Cole's, Cole's, uh, Russ Russ, Cole's father. Yes. 
Um, so, you know, there's there's something going on there. There's something going on there, and it does feel— I do also love the idea, though, that she was just like, this is all for me. <laughs> I'm going to wear my red velvet or gown like and her, eat, her, eat, eat, Or it's her and all of her ghost friends, which also, <laughs> you know, if that's how you want to celebrate Christmas, she's the only one having a good time. Her, right. her and the native, like, women. I mean, the ghost thing, too, with uh, Rose, who is her name even really Rose? We don't even know. Mm. It takes a really sort of dark turn with Navarro by the end of the episode, yeah. where it's like Navarro's like, uh— oh, what happened to my mother, what happened to Julia is maybe happening to me. And she mm-hmm. goes so far as to sort of leave Liz Danvers in a pretty precarious situation where they don't know, like, there's a man running. They don't know if he's armed or anything. She just sort of, like, completely just focuses on something different in the image of her sister sort of floating face down in the dredges, which seemed to be maybe a premonition that didn't seem to be real. I don't know. I'm very worried about... Navarro's. She does not end this episode in a good. She's got blood coming out of her ear <clears throat> and is spiraling. She's, yeah, yeah, she's she's been, gone f- like almost full Blair Witch, standing in a corner. Yes, like, you know that's exactly what it seems feels yeah, like. Yeah, and, and that's not great. It feels not great, and I don't know if like Ro- you know. Well, she says she's when when she's telling you know Danvers about her sister's death, she's like she knew something was coming for her, and now it's coming for me. Yeah. Now it's coming to claim me or whatever, whatever the language is she uses. Like her, it happened to her mother too. And yes, could that just be a metaphor for... Generational trauma. Yeah, generational trauma, hereditary mental illness. Sure. But also maybe something slouching toward her that is of, you know, deep in the earth. Or and something. now the last two episodes have ended this way with mm-hmm. some sort of foreboding sign from a demon. Yeah. I guess the question is we now have two episodes left. Do we feel like we can get to a point where the edges are rounded in a, in a satisfying way? Like, because, you know, remember like on Game of Thrones where the story kept expanding and expanding and expanding and by season Lost. seven you were yeah. like, wait a second, they haven't started to tie anything back together. And none and of these people never are will. ever on the same continent, right. let so alone. like how is this yeah. all going to have a grand convergence and a sort of satisfying ending? And then Game of you Thrones know. pulled that off. It's a very oh, satisfying as, ending. As, as did Lost, both <laughs> shows beautifully. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously this is working on a much shorter runway and I do feel like as much as Otis's arrival feels a bit convenient, as you said, Hillary, I think that that is going to be the sort of center thing around which a lot of things converge. Like, I hope anyway, like we now have introduced the premise that is suggested by the show's title. Yeah. And and we're now coming close to the place where Annie Kay died, presumably the place where Clark currently still is. I mean, we don't know that for sure. Sh- he doesn't, certain, he doesn't have a code, so he might not be doing he, so great. Yeah. yeah, he might be gone. I do. I like how tight the show is. I think that six episodes feels like long enough that we can have a beat like Hank getting ditched by his mail order bride. Like that doesn't have anything to do with the story. It doesn't need to be there, mm-hmm. but it's illustrative and it builds him into something a little bit deeper. But at the same time, there's not so much time that we can really head out into left field, like past a bunch of red herrings that are going to end up being dead ends. Right. No, exactly. I mean, I think that one plot line that we haven't spent a ton of time on for the past couple episodes is prior. He and his wife are having a lot of problems. I don't think that marriage is maybe long for the the world, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, certainly I, not if he keeps, like, leaving on Christmas to, like, answer the phone. And then sneaking back into bed yeah. and just saying yeah. sorry kind of petulantly. Knocking you know. over things when he does it, <clears throat> waking her up. Um, yeah, like, they have a little kid. Come on. But we had joked on, I think, the first episode of this season that, like, he had strong Evan Peters in Mayor of Easttown energy, yeah. where it's mm-hmm. like, which that did not end well for that character. I don't know now that the sister has died. I don't know if they would put another death like that yeah. into the show. 
But I'm starting like to another, wonder. Like another death of an innocent kind of right. thing. It feels like too much. But I'm kind of wondering if we get a situation where Danvers rescues him from imminent death and she essentially sacrifices herself, thus kind of like atoning for whatever happened mm. with her son, kind of like Al Pacino at, at the end of Insomnia, another detective thing set in Alaska, mm-hmm. where he won't let Hillary Swank like go down the dark path. Maybe we're building with Pryor toward, yes, yeah, she's molding him into her, but she's actually going to realize, wait, I don't want to do that. I want to make him better. I want to make, I, like, he can't abandon his family. Well, that mean, and then there's also the the alternative, which is, you know, he is Clarice Starling in this mm-hmm. in this world. Like he right, is, right. he is young and he's kind of idealistic, and Freshman. he's yeah, he's getting to a place where he's going to be more able and capable, but you know, lose part of himself along the way, and that also feels you know a, like a possible yeah. turn for the character to take. He is a rare. It's other than I mean, he's obviously not great at being married, but he's also like what twenty five. Yeah. But he's one of the rare decent men, right, on the show so far. And Should, can you know, there be a decent be, man in that, Ennis? Well, right. that's what made me right. think. Which I mean, is, Oliver is maybe we don't know much about him. He seems protective, certainly of. His life, but like, is he? Quavik's good, but is that like? Should we be trusting that? Like, mm. is there a decent man in mm-hmm. the, the whole thing? Really begins with Navarro like beating up a guy. There's a lot of male on female aggression. Maybe, maybe the lesson is you can't trust everyone. Maybe Quavik is actually bad news, even yeah. though he seems to be genuinely so lovely the whole entire time. So that would be hard to believe. <laughs> but I'm just now like, well, we're spitting out theories. It's good. Well, Hashtag he's, not all men. Not, <laughs> he's good enough for. It's implied that this is. Navarro's first male relationship, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, because Danvers had asked, like, are you going back to girls or like whatever? Still with yeah. um, I'm rooting for him. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a couple decent men, but like, I don't know, I just the prior of it all, that character was introduced in this kind of significant way. And I do feel a little bit like the wheels have been spinning on that somewhat because like we've gotten the same fight with the wife now three yeah. times the same sort of like, oh, when when she says jump, I say, you know, how high like has a similar he, thing with a dad. He's having good luck finding things out, but also Navarro is kind of showing him up by being like, well, I don't know. I went and talked to people rather than just Googling. <laughs> you know. Well, it feels like if there were another innocent or sacrifice or something that happened in that way, it feels like it might be Leah just given Leah's proximity. Oh, but that's going to really destroy Danvers if that happens. It would destroy yeah. Danvers if that happens because that would be her second kid whom she yeah. loses. And then also the similarities and Isabel said this last week that she looks a lot like Annie Kay. Like yeah. there's a, like the, they even yeah. noticed that yeah. when they were in <clears throat> the hair and makeup trailer together and that if there's something that's targeting Native women or targeting Native people, it might be that Leah's the one who's most at danger. And now she's as far away from Danvers as possible right. sort of right now, right. which is arguably the person that Danvers cares about the most. So I'm, well, I'm worried about if, her. I wonder if like Leah getting involved with the protesting and stuff in this as a way that Annie Kay was as well, like might Leah get led to where Annie Kay got led? I mean, is there are there people we haven't met or like... A some sort of organization, a protest organization that like Annie K got too deep in with, and maybe that's where Leah's headed. Like, does I mean, if if she winds up being like bait for them to catch, I mean, that right. that's that's pretty dark. That feels like old not, True not, Detective. I don't know. Yeah, not bait. I just mean like, are things going to start to kind of echo 
the past, and then Danvers has to, and, and Navarro mm-hmm. have to kind of intervene to stop that from happening. You know, yeah. like I, I don't know, break but, the break the cycle. Yeah, I'm just wondering how how involved Leah is in the central mystery. How involved Pryor is ultimately going to be. You know, because it's time to start sort of setting everyone up for their own individual endings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, traditionally, like, the penultimate episode is where, like, the real shit happens, and then... Yeah, I think that was true of past True Detective seasons as well. So, um, we'll see. But, yeah, I mean, this this episode felt pretty... Supernatural to me. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta say. I mean, a horror. I, okay, I'll, I'll say. I'll clarify that. This episode was almost half of it pure like horror. I mean, Julia's yeah. seeing her her mother under the bed. Like, yeah, we have we have several jump yeah. scares. Mm-hmm. We have a creepy location for a sort of final moment. You know, mm-hmm. a crazed man running or skittering around in the dark yeah. with like, one eye. Again, yeah. one eye yeah. thing is the, also the bleeding ear. The ble- yeah. Yeah. So we have Fiona Shaw's sumptuous spread <laughs> right, yeah. for a ghost, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Probably. Rose, she hasn't lived here in 30 years. <laughs> if she has been dead the whole time, then that's dumb. But also, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I wouldn't. It. Hate I believe, it. I believe yeah. it. Yeah. But that was the celebrated actress, Fiona Shaw. She lived here in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment when we return to conversation with Kaylee Reese, who plays Detective Navarro. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Luna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as a specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So we saw in part four of the six-part True Detective series that Navarro really, really couldn't take a punch. She really uh, was worse for the wear mm-hmm. by the end of the episode. But she, you know, she kept, she took a look in and kept on ticking. Yeah, she really did. Yeah, uh, this was a pretty significant episode for Navarro, our beloved, troubled Evangeline Navarro, but also a big episode for the actor who plays her, Kaylee Reese, uh, who has not had a ton of experience in acting, is kind of new to the profession, but I think the whole show leading up to this, but really in this episode proves that she has a calling. Yeah, she's got the chops. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I think that this will not be the last time we see her. Um, I got a chance to talk to Kaylee about landing this role and becoming friends with Jodie Foster, um, how her uh, background as a boxer, which is what her job was before she became primarily an actress, uh, came in handy while making the show. So yeah, enjoy our conversation. Hi, Kaylee. So nice to meet you. Good morning and thank you for having me, Hillary. It's very, a much, huge pleasure. Can't wait. So obviously you had acted before True Detective, um, but hadn't done something kind of 
I mean, you had made a movie, but you hadn't done, you know, a big mainstream project like this. So tell me, tell me a little bit about joining the show and why Navarro kind of spoke to you. Cast and director was looking for Navarro and saw me and um, Issa, they, they made the conscious decision to make Navarro part of the community, um, half indigenous, and they were looking for a Native American actress and they showed her me and I was became Navarro, basically it kind of thing. Um, I did audition and uh, I uh, I I knew I was going to get the part, um, especially when I read the, the the what the part was. Spoke with Lisa, I was really intrigued about it. Huge True Detective fan, and um, she was just somebody I could totally relate to on so many different levels. And then you know the just the brain of Issa Lopez, the imagination, the way she eloquently puts these these all these themes into one thing that just gels together and works. And that was really what, what spoke to me, but. A Navarro struggle between the two, you know, she's half Dominican, half Inupiaq, indigenous, and she's surrounded by a world that she's not really a part of, but wants to be. And she's been through some shit. She's been <laughs> through some things. And um, she's like a badass with a with a big heart. You know what I mean? And I can definitely relate to that. And, you know, it was a big thing to take on. It was pretty intimidating to be a fan. You know, they said Jodie Forster. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> um, that's how I got on. I got the call and immediately Issa said, congratulations. And I'm sorry. I was like, yay. Wait, what? Like kind of like, OK, you know, I do things. Evidently, I do the hard hardest thing first to kind of get thrown into the deep end and sink or swim and you know I've been learning how to swim and it was just it was just an amazing blessing so that's and here we are my third job with this mega monster of a project mm -hmm. yeah it is a uh, not the typical early acting career not at all not at all <laughs> tell me about the first time that uh, you got to really spend time with Jodie Foster what did what did you guys do what did you talk about how did you get to know each other the first time we met was actually in Iceland where we shot. Um, it was the first, very first rehearsal. So it wasn't like we had a meet and greet. It wasn't like we had coffee. It wasn't like we had a, any kind of Zoom. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, trying to fathom over the entire summer. Like, I'm going to be working with Jodie Foster. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, you know, always have some kind of thought on who people are, who they look like they would be. And then, you know, I'm just, I'm just tiptoeing into this industry like hey hey guys here I am and then I'm like with this legend hard-hitting academy award-winning like I grew up watching her movies and I had a fangirl moment <laughs> like a motherfucker I was like oh my god she's walking through the door walking through the door. she's like hi I'm like what's up you doing nice <laughs> to meet you you know how to try to play it cool but um she was amazing man she's such a she you know I went in there doing this project and left with a friend she's my homie now and she's was just so pleasantly kind very open. She was very interested in what everybody else's ideas were. She was very collaborative and she just really was there to tell this story. Hilarious. And it was an amazing experience. I mean, what better way to learn and get into this industry than to have kind of like an almost like a mentor, somebody to observe and learn off of for your third project and such a big project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that she's really funny. And I mean, the show is really funny, too, which is a kind of a pleasant surprise. Like you mentioned being mm -hmm. a fan of the original True Detective. And, you know, the, that first season is so great and so compelling, but like, it's not that funny. <laughs> like, yeah, no. in that country really is. <laughs> yeah, it was. it's funny, like, because we would read and rehearse and then we'd be in doing the scene and the scene would be like something serious. But then watching it, I'm like, yo, I laughed 
a lot with this one because the dynamic between Danvers and, and Navarro is pretty funny. Yeah, there's a great moment in uh, this episode, episode four, where they're going to see the science teacher to try to get him to explain uh, where that video <laughs> is coming from. And Danvers is like, stand in front of me to Navarro. And she's like, you, him too? Just like, yeah, like you got to be kidding me. That was so funny because it was something that I could tell. And then her reaction was like, yeah, I know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I you got you to gotta love Danvers. She does what she wants. We call her an Alaskaran. She's just like, <laughs> she's just like so oblivious. She makes these horrible jokes. And then she, she actually is funny. She does whatever she wants. She's this big, but she has a personality of like King Kong. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I spoke to Issa Lopez also, um, and she described the show as kind of essentially a rom-com between Danvers and Navarro, which I also thought was like, did you, did you feel that vibe between you and Jody? Yeah, absolutely. It was like somebody you love to hate that you know so well, but you absolutely can't stand them, but you love them so much. And like, I honestly, if one of them, if Damers or Navarro ever needed to get like life safe, they they wouldn't think twice about saving each other. You know what I mean? Mm. So definitely it is a rom-com. <laughs> I guess I don't want to shift the mood too much, but you have a lot of heavy stuff in this episode that I definitely want you to dig into a little bit. That last scene of uh, of Navarro and Julia talking, you know, before she goes into into the institution and before she you know dies it's uh, it's really emotional and it's very fraught tell me do you is there anything specific about uh, shooting that scene that you remember that uh stands out to you well yeah initially meeting meeting Aka which she plays Julia Navarro as my little sister like immediately um she became my real little sister you know I could we were very relatable she's an amazing human person and just because I have this thing with like Navarro with with just women and girls, and I've I've worked with um, young girls in group homes for a very very long time. Not saying she was in a group home, but I just have this protective aspect about me that I can relate to with Navarro. And we hung out a lot. Um, just to you know, this is our first time acting. This is not my like fifteenth, but I have a little bit you know show the little ropes. And this was a heavy heavy role for her. And um, mm-hmm. you know, getting to know her, I just wanted to make sure she had all the support in the world. So um, it wasn't far to pull from. You know what I mean? Just because of a lot of time we spent together personally. Um, so and just to imagine what that felt like, you know, that's Navarro's one thing she's hold that's holding things together for her, because if it wasn't for Julia, she wouldn't make the decision to go to the military. She wouldn't have made the decision probably to be, a, you know, try to be in this box to make things work in this community. She would do things her own way for sure, because she would only have to worry about herself, not Julia. So that was, you know, she wanted to make it seem like everything was going to be okay but she actually julia was the one trying to make sure navarro was okay in that whole aspect because navarro was losing it because she felt like she was losing julia yeah you kind of you kind of feel like julia kind of knows i think what she's going to do seems pretty clear like how how things are going to end for her and like navarro's the only one maybe he doesn't see that yeah yeah navarro tries not to because julia's more you know navarro's caught between these two worlds, the spiritual and the logical. Um, and she's trying to ride that middle line where Julia is way more spiritual and very way more connected like their mother is. Hence the reason why Julia is always a reminder, I'm not mom, I'm not mom. But she's not really trying to convince Navarro. She's trying to convince herself as well. So it's uh, Julia definitely didn't know. And maybe Navarro, Navarro knew in some aspect too, but she didn't know why she knew. And she didn't know what she knew in that moment as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she has uh, several different reactions at different moments to, you know, this horrible thing that happens to her, this this horrible, you know, family tragedy. Um, she goes and she finds that guy from the domestic violence call from the beginning of the series and she, like, you know, attacks him and then gets beaten up. Um, so obviously, like, with your with your background as a fighter, like, was it tricky to learn, like, stage fighting? 
Is that like a totally different skill? Um, you know, I thought at first it would be the the one thing to unlearn is like naturally when I'm in, like I've been boxing for over 20 years. So like naturally I'm going to always look like a boxer, but it's consciously going into the just industry, I, especially with Navarro. She doesn't come from a boxing background. So it's like I got to kind of unlearn that a little bit. But because I've been boxing for so long, it was easy for me to get the distance between not hitting somebody and hitting somebody because mm-hmm. I know how close I need to be to hit somebody. So that was probably like, I love stunt rehearsals. We had an amazing stunt team and amazing scene partners. So it was um, just to learn the different techniques of what it means to be like, to act like you're being somebody or getting beat up versus actually really hit. Cause I got the hitting people down, you know, I can, <laughs> <laughs> I got that down, but no, it was, um, it was fun. I would say that it was definitely a lot of fun. It was like my my bread and butter. How many stunts were you doing yourself? Everything. I've, I've done every stunt. And uh, the only thing I didn't do was like things from like falling, like from things. Uh, mm-hmm. But I did. I said, if there's everything, I want to do everything. Like I want to be the Tom Cruise of <laughs> this thing. I want to do everything, man. So I did pretty much almost everything. That's a good comparison to make. Yeah, that's a uh... yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then later uh, she goes over to Danvers and, you know, she's still feeling kind of numb. And Danvers has that whole kind of kind of tantrum where she starts yelling about how there is nothing after death and like everybody is alone. And then, you know, Navarro has to tell her what happened to Julia. Like that seems like that was a pretty intense uh, two hander for you guys, you and Jody. Yeah, it was. um, um... That scene is really, I like that scene as well, because for the first time, you kind of see Danvers being a friend to Navarro in that moment. Did anything stand out from shooting it? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've personally, you know, I can pull from a few places having to say somebody close to you, especially a sibling has died. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, So that was, and again, just a personal relationship and knowing um, what, Aka, you know, just being a a big sister to her too, you know, just imagining that, and um, it was it was a heavy scene, and just the, the whole mental illness about everything, you know, you either know somebody who's been through that or has somebody who's been through that, um, at least in my experience, and um, it was tough, but again, we I had a lot of support, and um, you know, it was like telling somebody's truth, it might not have been in mine, but it was Navarro's truth in that point, and I think it was more or less Navarro's finally saying it to somebody finally getting it out and because of their Danvers and Navarro's connection whether it's tainted now or not they they are their friends and they were really good friends and they understand each other she trusts she trusts Danvers and then they just get back to work which is kind of like you want to tell her like take a take a breather take a minute like go home but you know I guess that this is just kind of how both of them process things yeah, they in the true true detective fashion, you know, they bury themselves in their work. That's how they that's how they cope with their messy messy lives. The topic of missing and murdered indigenous women is very important to you personally and that you've done a lot of work uh in that topic. Uh how how do you think that the show and Issa uh handle it this season? I think, you know, <clears throat> it's a it's a tricky this what I'm learning early in this industry is this tricky thing to try to get a point across without going too far where people just, you know, you can give somebody too much information at once, you know, so people have to process it on their own. Lisa did a very good job. She's been telling these types of stories in her own directorial career um, for a long time. And being from Mexico, she's seen in being from Mexico City, a place that that happens just like it does in Canada and in America and in the 
most indigenous places around the world are just tar targeted people. She's done a really good job in telling that story. And I believe making this story based around Navarro's nemesis, which is finding what happened to Annie Kay, which also kind of intertwines with what happened to her mom, which happened, you know, that she just has this thing. And that's kind of a, she, you know, she's been chasing this case. You know, we've done a, a good job with that, touching on it, um, making that the kind of the core of what's really going on. Um, would I have liked to see it more? Yeah, but not this story. I think it does a good job of that balance because it's all about balance. And then it, it just raises questions and it raises curiosity. Curiosity raises questions, questions raises conversation, conversation, you know, awareness, and then hopefully leads to change. So I think we did a pretty good mm. job. Yeah, yeah. And it raises it and it explores it without being like preachy or, you know, like hitting yeah. you over the head. Um, yeah, the, yeah. Some people, you know, shy away from that. So at the end of this episode, uh, you and Danvers head to, I guess, what is it like a like an oil rig like out on the ice? Um, and you're going to look, uh, you wind up finding uh, Otis Heiss and there's that really creepy final shot where Navarro is just like bleeding from the ear and staring from the Christmas tree. When you like read that stuff, are you just like, oh, my God, like what is <laughs> what what is going on in this universe like it's really dark i'm like dude isa what do you think of on a daily basis this is awesome like this no, is just what's like, inside your head all the time yeah this is what you think about like drinking coffee in the morning holy shit um <laughs> no I, I was just like i, I was like no navarro gets it she's she's gonna no like i was like oh no but i'm like nah nah she's strong enough but she's still between two little if anybody can get out of the trance or whatever you want to call it that mm -hmm. these people are getting called to Navarro can get out of it you know she's she's going to touch it there and she'll she's almost like going to find out what's on the other side so she can report back to herself kind of a thing but I was like oh my god that that whole in the dredges was um it all brings everything together like oh man what mm -hmm. is going on here it just kind of sets you up for the next the next chapter when you like step onto that set are you just how creepy is it in real life versus, you know, what it looks like on the show? It's creepy as hell. Whatever it looks like, it's cold, it's creepy, it's really dark. No, it, it is. And then, you know, just the places in the in the set that they, they were building or, or the, the locations we were going to, it just added to it. Like, you know, as you're reading, you know, I have a very vivid imagination, so I imagine what it's going to look like. Then I get there, I'm like, oh, this is 10 times better than what I could imagine. So it it helps you get into that feel, that creepy, you know, get chicken skin and like, you know, it's not real, but it felt real. Like everything about that tree. And I'm like, me personally, I'd like, nope. We're going. Nope, not it. <laughs> so it, they definitely helped with that on the set. It was it was very creepy. The corpsicle thing. It's like I met the corpsicle before I met the real people. So I was like, oh, that's what you look. I know what you look like. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the corpsicle is a real a real like feat of engineering. Just like the first time you see that as a viewer, it's like, oh, this shit is real. <laughs> Yeah, the shit is real. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned also you mentioned before being a fan of the original show, as you know, like part of the true detective experience is, you know, looking for clues and dissecting it. And I love how many Easter eggs there are. But the opening credits uh, seem like they have a lot of tiny details in them. I don't know how closely you've watched them. Is there something in there that you think viewers should be paying close attention to? Um, just pay attention to backstories, pay attention to who's who with every character, because there are some connections with some characters. Um, the spiral is a big, obvious one. Um, this, the spiral connects the supernatural, magical aspect that we love so dearly about the first season. Um, yeah, don't blink, especially not even just related to any seasons, because every season is an entity of itself. But 
just to to realize if you catch the clues along the way to try to figure out the case, just don't don't blink because there are there are clues every scene, every person, every set, every every everything. So just pay close attention, especially to people's backstories. Mm-hmm. Did you solve the mystery before you found out the end? No, no. Issa is a master about that. I'm like, oh, snap. Like, I didn't, <laughs> I had no idea. Um, is it a pleasant surprise? And then to see actually on screen, even though I knew it was going to happen, it it still hits. It still hits hard. Like, okay. Oh, well, thank you so much, Kaylee. Thank you so much. Still watching. We'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, our little Scooby Squad will try to predict who the murderers are. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, We should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. we support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, guys, it is once again prediction time. We have an IC on the line for the winner. Um, Chris, last week, uh, you were saying that you think... It's the polar bear, of course. It's the polar bear. <laughs> Do Speaking you of laws. still think that the one-eyed polar bear is behind everything? Oh, God, I would love if it were, but no, I'm going to go... I mean, it's like, you know, it's the spirit of, like, the wild, like, coming the back wild, to reclaim. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. The coming against, you know, the miners and the, mm-hmm. the men who destroyed There's the land. There's actually a Connie Britton movie about that, <laughs> about a, pe- a researchers in an Alaskan station and some sort of, like, animal spirits attack them. That's oh. what Friday Night Lights is about? <laughs> the, the notorious second season. Okay, <laughs> okay, the writer's trick, yeah. that's why. And then they went back to Dylan. Jesse, Jesse Plemons kills the polar bear. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. it was horrible. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that I, <laughs> that I went with that for last week. This week, I'm gonna I'm gonna tether it back. Even though we're getting more supernatural and more like a horror movie, I'm gonna tether it back a little bit to reality and go back. Uh, we got we had a, this new guy, right? Um, Otis. But I'm still kind of obsessed with Oliver Tadak. I don't know. Do you think we'll never see him again? I'm the spiral being everywhere in his house the thing about the generator in the caves he might know where the caves are maybe i don't know maybe he's retreated to the caves maybe he's retreated to the caves maybe we find him there maybe Maybe there's a whole community there a whole community of cave people i (laughs) i don't think i'm sorry (laughs) now i'm seeing like people in like loincloths going like or or like the um the the matrix Matrix. sequel where they're all having a rave underground yeah Yeah. Yeah. oh god i would love that but yeah i'm gonna say him even though i honestly i don't think that I don't expect the killer. I'm going to say him even though I don't think it's him. <laughs> I don't think it's him. I don't expect the killer to be But he's something. involved. He's involved. I don't think he's mm-hmm. maybe the main killer where he killed mm-hmm. Annie Kay necessarily because I don't think that this show would necessarily do native on native violence. I don't think it's necessarily mm-hmm. going to be a native person who's responsible for Unless this. Unless it's a 
tragic accident or something yeah, like that. Yeah, unless there's yeah. some yeah. big mistake or whatnot. But he's the person that's stuck in my craw. Right yeah, now. you know, talking talking about people and the mine and everything, we haven't seen uh, the mine owner. We haven't talked about the mine no, owner. it's just that woman. In a, that in a while. Kate. Yeah, Kate. I mean, she shows yeah. up and then she kind of does Danvers a solid by not calling the police. On Leah, yeah. But I, I do wonder if, you know, her being well, involved. I mean, yeah. not pressing charges. Right. Danvers is the police. But, <laughs> yeah. No, it's just Jodie Foster. She's an actress. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I mean, her... Her being, you know, reintroduced kind of feels. I don't know. Maybe we should. Maybe we should consider her in the end game. And if mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. the if the mine somehow, if the scientists like knew too much, yeah, and the right. mine yeah. like yeah. killed them in a mysterious, weird way, and then is like trying to, you know, brush it under the rug. Mm. Like I, I feel like that could be. Maybe that's also kind of a predictable solution. <laughs> well, but if the mine is behind both Annie Kay and, and the, scientists, the scientists, the mine is looming over this show for a reason, right? Yeah. Um, it's killing babies. It's making people sick. I, yeah, I kind of, I'm with you on that, Hillary. Like we're, my theory last week was that it was some sort of chemical. I still kind of think there's something that's hallucinogenic Something involved. that was released. Yeah. But I, so I think that like it was a terrible accident when Clark, because they, they went to this cave. He wanted to show her this amazing thing they discovered, but didn't realize that the cave was making him crazy. He killed Annie sort of by accident mm-hmm. uh, but also because of of the cave of the right. cave juice yeah, cave juice i don't know how that explains the power going out and then the mine found out about it covered everything up because we have to stop mining if we're releasing this horrible chemical in the air right. yeah. and then the scientists knew about it so they had to cover that up and yeah. you know so it's conspiracy upon I mean conspiracy. i'm not sure why the mine would kill the scientists in that particular manner well they just released the gas and yeah. the gas did its work yes. the gas did its work yeah. and the gas yeah, is they, a sheet there, obviously there are cleaner ways of doing that open the door polar bear walks in close yeah. the door behind the polar, <laughs> bear. polar bear again yeah. it's all gonna be yeah. the polar bear i'm calling it now yeah um, just uh yeah getting getting them to strip and like go out onto the ice and tear out their own eyes and right. everything and folding their right. clothes afterwards yeah. yes, it's, it's rather baroque maybe for like <laughs> yeah. a, for a corporation <laughs> but i have become convinced though at the very least that the who whatever whoever killed Annie Kay is not who killed the scientists. Yeah. I think they're obviously related, but they're not. But the they're not the same villain. Okay, yeah. because that's just too too neat. I I I I think that sh- I think if the show is pointing itself toward both thriller and horror, but also tragedy drama, I think that the Annie Kay death is going to be revealed to be something. I mean, she got stabbed so many times, so it was very violent. But like, I don't know. I think there's something sort of more like pathetic and sad about that. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. It's not yeah. accidental. Like, no, no, no. Yeah, there's no, not no way accident. in no, which. No, it's not some accidental like intentional. Uh, I, I didn't mean to strangle yeah. her kind of thing. Yeah, but not necessarily the same as yeah. as the scientists. I and mean, I can get behind that. Well, we'll see. Very soon. Well, that does it for this episode of Still Watching. You can find me, as ever, on social media at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. And you can find me on social media at Christress. You can find me at Hillabuster. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Jake Loomis. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next Sunday for Episode 5, the penultimate episode. Looking forward to seeing you then. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. 
Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs>